0: i'm successful if i create a unicorn what what a stupid fucking phrase Mm. what a stupid idea that's success why Mm. what does that mean
1: welcome to the reboot podcast can we live beyond compare? David Rico. I've been journaling since I was 17. I've been using Evernote as a journal since around May of 2009. In leading up to this episode, I did a quick search of the phrase, compare myself. 75 entries came up. I have no doubt that if I play with the phrasing a bit more, even more notes would surface. But here's just a snippet from one note. And then when I saw the news on company X, I felt like, again, I'm back in my place where I start to compare myself. I feel the pressure to do more. I feel inferior. I feel behind. I feel, well, actually inferior is the right word. I feel like shit. I feel unworthy. It sucks. It's so easy, sometimes fun, sometimes painful, and always tempting to compare ourselves to others. As entrepreneurs, the temptation is even stronger. It can at times seem like there's an endless supply of compare yourself material from social media to media. Ask any reboot coach. One of the busiest days they see as a coach is the day a big acquisition or funding announcement occurs. The second busiest day? Well, it's the day after that. So what would it be like to let go? What if you stopped trying to be a VC, an entrepreneur, a father like everyone else? What if you were just you and that was okay? This is exactly the advice our podcast guest offered up to a 34-year-old Jerry Colonna many, many years ago. We are truly honored to have Brad Feld on the podcast with Jerry today. Brad's an investor, entrepreneur, and blogger who's been supporting entrepreneurs all over the world since 1987. Brad has also been a great reboot supporter and teacher. In this conversation, these two friends talk about VCs as Dungeons and Dragons characters, Brad's evolved and evolving investment criteria, and the single best piece of advice Brad offered to Jerry that changed his career. Today's episode, we are proud to say, is brought to you by JustWorks. JustWorks helps businesses take care of their benefits, their healthcare, payroll, and HR. It's just that simple. We use it and absolutely love it here at Reboot. And Reboot is more than just Jerry. It's a full team of very talented people. JustWorks makes it so easy to take care of that team. So here's another member of the Reboot team. Hi, this is Jeff Riddle. I'm a coach at Reboot. So, Jeff, how did you become a reboot coach?
2: I mean, it's you know, it started with pursuing a career in professional baseball and getting injured before I actually got beyond uh, beyond college, and then deciding, well, that sucks. So I'm going to do something cool, like be a musician, and uh, and then I toured professionally, you know, and that was fun. And then I was like, well, this is cool, but I want to do something else, and then became an entrepreneur. So it was through this kind of process of high performance that I started to realize there's these common trends and, uh, and that got me really interested in coaching. And now here we are full circle because a decade later, you know, they say that the best coaches are, are baseball catchers, which I happen to be. And now I'm doing it in the executive level.
1: So Jeff, how does JustWorks make your job and life easier?
2: Well, it's basically invisible to me, and, uh, except for when I get an email about once a month from Reboot. And all that email lets me know is that my bank account is bigger but it's, it's great because uh, it, it makes the process of receiving payment from Reboot so streamlined and easy and really out of my awareness so that I can worry and focus on things that are more
1: important for my business. JustWorks, as Jeff said, is the right kind of invisible. It just takes care of our payroll, compliance, or benefits, even our 1099s, with ease and top-notch support so we can focus on things that are more important for our business. Grow your business and not your busy work. Get JustWorks. Learn more, and to learn how we use it at Reboot, go to Reboot.io slash JustWorks. Quick note before we start today's conversation with Brad Feld. We are planning a VC-only bootcamp for 2016. So if this is something you'd be interested in attending, uh, we're going to have limited spots for it. Send us an email at hello at Reboot.io. And we will send you a note when we have dates and we have opened applications.
3: Hey, Brad, how are you? It's really, really great to see you, my friend. Awesome to see you. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited because, uh, you know, as a lot of folks know, I'm going to be moving to Boulder. So I'll get to hang out with my friends, Brad and Amy, a lot more. And uh, looking forward to that.
0: It has been an incredible joy to have you around uh, more the last couple of years. And I look forward to having you around even more and more. Well, I expect to be in the
3: pool in the in Feld
0: very frequently. So as, as often as you want. <laughs> Even if I'm not here, you know how to hop the fence. That's it. That's it.
3: <laughs> uh, well, thank you, too, for coming on to this. You know, the podcast, we're, we're just about a year now, and the podcasts have been really an extraordinary journey for me, I think, for the... For Dan, uh, our producer in this, for reboot, but also for, there's been a little community that's developed around this, and they followed it, and you know, just this week I recorded an episode with a guy that that I did a uh, podcast interview a year ago, and contrasting where he was a year ago to here, so you know, I really I'm deeply appreciative of this, uh, you know this opportunity for us to sort of riff and gather our thoughts and share our thoughts about different topics. As you know, I talked with Fred a couple of months ago, and just recently we talked with Bijan. Uh, And so a lot of what we've talked about with them was sort of the experience of being an investor and what's that like. And I've been looking forward to sort of checking in with you really around the same topic. So just to really get things going, one thought I had was to just talk a little bit about well, what does it really mean to be an effective investor? What does it mean to be an effective board member? And and to give it even more context, I was talking to somebody else the other day, someone that you know, I won't name their name, and we were talking about the board of directors of the company that they are with, and they had just left uh, one of the companies that we're all investors in. And he said, Well, you know, this board, it's made up of some really great people, but it's not the same board that Fred and Brad are on. And there's something, there's something almost ineffable about a really well-functioning board. And when that relationship is just clicking and you just smiled, so does that resonate?
0: Absolutely resonates. I have a line that I use over and over again about investors in general, uh, which is that investors are like Dungeons and Dragons characters <laughs> and you know we, we we live in this environment, especially right now, you know we're we' there's huge amounts of writing and stuff published and podcasts about uh, VCS and angel investors and what investors are like and I run into this over and over and over again where founders view, uh, I'll use VC instead of investor generally, but view VCs as a singular archetype. Mm. They talk about this notion of of VC. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's only one of VC and that's Fred, right? (laughs) Um,
3: (laughs) Referring to the name of his blog, right? Of course,
0: of course. Uh, But this idea that VCs are the same is just wrong. Mm. And so you, you have to start foundationally with that when you start talking about investors and boards, right? If, if they're like Dungeons and Dragons characters, right, some are elves and some are wizards uh, and some are uh, orcs and some are dwarves and some are trolls. Actually, a bunch are trolls. <laughs> and and then you have to go to the next level, which is you have to start thinking about a VC firm. Yeah. And a VC firm is not a collection of all wizards or a collection of all dwarves it's a collection of different characters so you know foundry group you know you get to choose which one of us is which but you know i'm different than my partner jason than my partner seth and my partner ryan we we have very shared you know common belief systems we we call them our deeply held beliefs we have a long long relationship with each other but we're different so the first step is for the founder to think about the vc as an individual rather than a collective and a singular archetype. And I would say the same thing with investors. And then I keep going and mm. say the same thing with board members. It's not that you're ending up with a thing that behaves in a consistent fashion.
4: Mm.
0: You're engaging with people who are fundamentally different, have different experiences, have different uh, strengths and weaknesses, have different skill levels, have different you know, tools and over time, hopefully, they grow and mm. they evolve and they change. And sometimes they grow based on experiences. Sometimes they grow based on new knowledge. Sometimes they grow based on changing, you know, chemistry because, you know, we are all just big bags of chemicals after all.
4: Mm.
0: And and most importantly, the interaction and the interaction effects evolve. Mm. And so when I think about what makes an effective investor – It's a very difficult question to answer in the abstract because there's so many different characteristics of each individual person that can make them effective or ineffective for whatever situation they're in. And really, it comes back to the responsibility of the founder for understanding that her investors are going to be different as individuals and that she needs to put real energy into understanding what drives them probably before they invest in her company. Mm. Because an effective investor is going to be one who has uh, intellectual and emotional alignment Mm -hmm. with the founders, might have a different set of viewpoints on certain things, but is coming into a situation with a frame of reference that's uh, I don't think congruent maybe is not the right word, but it, at least links back to those founders. The ineffective investor is the one who comes in with a completely different frame of reference, and I've experienced that both as an entrepreneur, uh, founder, and as an investor. Uh, where you know you could be a month into a new investor and you realize that that new investor and the uh, the, the the founders or that new investor and the CEO are so off kilter. Because their expectations about what they're going to get out of their respective relationship and how they're going to engage with each other is totally missing. Mm. And you, know, you might say, how did that happen? Geez, don't you have like, mm. uh, an opportunity to learn each other? And, and, and the answer is yeah, but uh, investors, um, and many investors are quite good at selling themselves. You know, firms are good at promoting themselves. Uh, Some founders don't have a lot of options in terms of different choices for investors. Um, A lot of founders are so busy just scrambling to get a funding raise that they don't really think how important it is to dig in deeper in advance. Um, There's lots of... Founders who don't value the importance of that relationship until after they're in the relationship and realize they're totally fucked because it's going to be a bad relationship that they're going to have to navigate through.
4: Hmm.
0: So there's a whole spectrum of it, but it, it, if you circle all the way back around, that's why it's so hard to say what makes a good investor. At least for me, yeah, because it's I, not a it's not a global response.
3: I, I love that, and I love the the. Um, Identifying the the way in which the answer really depends on the uh, on the circumstance that we're talking about, and there's a there's an attribute I think to your analogy that I, that I would extend it, which is that founders are Dungeons and Dragons characters as well, right? Founders are also an orc or a dwarf or an elf or a wizard or whatever, and if that's true, and you just nodded, so I'm imagining, yeah, you, you know that's true. Um, I would say what what I one of the many things I was writing down as you were talking was that the question really isn't what makes an effective investor. The question should be what makes your board effective or not, your circumstance effective or not. Um, to, 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 to borrow a phrase from my therapist over the years, she was often fond of saying there's a right way and there's a wrong way, and then there's the way that works. <laughs> like right, that. right. And the way that works requires a kind of awareness of the underlying characters that you're playing with their experiences their anxieties their issues that sort of thing plus your own stuff and there goes back to my other phrase the whole notion of radical self-inquiry right being able to answer honestly am i a troll am i an orc does this resonate absolutely it's
0: there's a profound piece of it for me that i've learned over a long period of time and it 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 it, it goes from when I first started investing as an angel investor, mm-hmm. uh, which was in 1994, and then first started investing as as a VC investor, which was in 1996, um, and the distinction for me between the two is as an angel investor, I was writing checks out of my bank account, and as a VC investor, I was writing checks out of a fund, which included some money from my bank account, but was also uh, a, a broader fund. Um, when I was when I, when I made my first 40 angel investments, which happened in uh, 1994 to 1996, I only had two decision criteria associated with whether I was going to invest in a company or not. I was only investing at the time in internet and software-related companies. And the only two things were, number one, did I care about the product? Was the product interesting to me? Mm. And number two, was the founder focused on their product. And I didn't really have the right words for it then. And I probably talked about it as as, as pretty fuzzy. Did I like the founder was probably what I talked about back then, mm. right? So, mm. you know, did I care about the product and did I like the founder or like the founders? I went through this period, uh, you know, as an investor, you know, with, with the first fund I was part of, which was SoftBank Venture Capital, which turned into Mobius. And, you know, that went through this Broad arc of uh, you know a small start in 1996, a fundraise in 1997 with uh, four partners and two associate or two assistants, and then you know by 2000 we'd raised these you know three funds, a couple of billion dollars of capital, and had like 60 or 70 people, and then in 2001 the whole world blew up, right? <laughs> and in that cycle, uh, we went from. This or I went from this very, very simple way of looking at things, mm. which was I have a frame of reference of stuff that I know really well, and then I have these two things that I'm choosing. Through this arc where I mean at one point I remember we had some point system. I'm not gonna remember the point system, but <laughs> you know, we had some point system where you like on a everybody on a piece of paper would rate like these six attributes, management and vision and market and uh, you know, we, we should have had a line for bullshit factor. Um,
3: <laughs> or and, our own bullshit factor. <laughs>
0: well, that, that was probably what I'm getting at, right? And, and you added up these points and, you know, if it got above 70 points, I remember that, like 70 points was a threshold that you kept going and if you didn't, whatever. Um, and when I wind the clock forward to 2015, 20 years later, yeah, the way I described uh, how my partners and I at Foundry Group decide whether something's for us as investors is, uh, first, we have a set of negative filters. And they're, uh, they're very simple ones. Is it in the US? Yes or no. Have you raised less than $3 million? Yes or no. Um, is it in one of our themes, which we define very intellectually for us? And uh, if you get through that filter, so we're, you know, we're early stage, but we don't have to be your first investor. We only invest in the US and we only invest in our themes. If you don't get through that, we pass immediately. We have a, a line we like to say no in 60 seconds. We don't want to waste the founder's time and we don't want to spend our time on things that we're not going to likely invest in. Mm-hmm. You get through the filter. This is this is the magic. You get through the filter. Now the questions are, do we have an affinity for the product? Are the founders obsessed about their product? Not passionate. Uh, I think passion belongs in the bedroom. I I, I like passion, but it's a different thing. And it's not unhealthy obsession. Mm. It's obsession. It's I'm on this planet to do this thing now. Mm -hmm. And then the third is, do they want to be partners with us long-term as much as we want to be partners with them? So if you take that arc that I've gone through and you link it back to what you said earlier, for me and for my partners, Jason, Seth, and Ryan, our evaluation process of whether or not we want to work with somebody is very much like that instinctive process I had Mm. in 1994. Invest in an area you know well, Mm. about things that you care about, about people that you want to work with.
4: Mm.
0: End of discussion. One of the things that comes out of that um, for us as a firm, as we learned over time, is our, our job as a firm... as a a venture capital firm is not to invest in every great company. Mm. Our job is to invest in 10 companies a year that we think could be great.
4: Mm.
0: And You never make an investment as an investor in a company that you don't think is going to be amazing. Hey, I just invested in this company. It's a total piece of shit, but I invested anyway because I just felt like it. That that Mm. never happens. Mm. And We know that a bunch of the things we're going to do are not going to be successful. If you turn that around for the founder, Right? I just articulated my yeah. and Jason, Seth, and Ryan's view of the world. I think every investor, individual investor, and every venture investor has a view of the world, whether they realize it or not. And Also, every founder has a view of the world, whether they realize it or not, at the stage they're at. You're helping the founders in, in a truly powerful way, and the notion of radical self-inquiry and the phrase – of mm-hmm. radical self-reinquiry, I use all the time and when I run into a founder who needs a dose of that uh, uh you know I tell them to listen to the podcast as a starting point and they say oh okay yeah, it's a podcast I don't have time for it I'm like I don't have time for it I've listened to them all <laughs> right so get your shit together and, and like the advice I'm giving you is go you know start like yeah. think about think inward and you know within tech stars we do this all the time a big part mm. of it is learn yourself first yeah But then also realize that most of the people that you're going to interact with on this planet, especially in the context of of entrepreneurship, actually don't really know themselves. Right, right. And if you start from that perspective and you know that, and part of your involvement and engagement, whether you're an investor or a founder, is first know yourself Mm -hmm. and then don't... Feel responsible for teaching other people themselves, Mm
4: -hmm.
0: but allow yourself to be exposed to them when you're going to engage in a relationship, whether it's a co-founder, whether it's an investor, whether it's an employee, whether it's a partner, allow them to engage with you. And while that's happening, look for who they are. Mm. And if they don't expose who they are to you and when you're willing to expose who you are to them, be a little more careful. And if they're willing to expose who they are to you, go to the next level in terms of depth, right? Mm-hmm. You, you, you have that, And that's why I said it's so profound is once the founder realizes that just like the investor is not a singular archetype,
4: mm-hmm.
0: there is no right way to be a founder.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: There is no one answer. We have lots of heroes.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: But, you know, are you trying to emulate pick a hero? Right, mm-hmm. Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Marissa Mark Meyer, Mark right. Zuckerberg, Jerry Colonna. Right. Are you trying to emulate them, or are you trying mm-hmm. to learn from them pieces that inform how you are mm-hmm. and what you want to be? Yeah. And for me, the most satisfying experiences as an investor, um, as a board member, uh, as a, a, a partner to a founder uh, as a partner to other people in the VC world is to have that kind of engagement, Mm. which is not all lovey touchy. I mean, you know, there's plenty of arguments and there's lots of hard problems that you have to solve and there's lots of stress, but you come at it from a perspective of knowing yourself first. And then the last thing I'll say on this is realizing that if you start down the path of learning yourself, that never ends. Mm. And of course, we've, we've helped each other through the years with that. And I've learned a lot from you about that it never ends until they put you in the ground yeah and that's part of the joy of being human it's also part of the pain in the ass
3: of being human yeah i think it was beautifully said really really well said and you know a couple of things i am taking from that one is that as a partnership you guys are not necessarily only investing in elves right (laughs) what you're looking for is who is this person and perhaps do they even know themselves And then the second is this notion of, and and we've both been riffing on this, is this notion of knowing yourself as a core uh, attribute, the the radical self-inquiry, the am I an elf, am I an orc? And I would even argue, when I encounter the elf that is Brad or the wizard that is Brad, And let's name it the troll that is Fred. Just kidding. Um,
0: (laughs) Or the troll that is Brad, because I definitely got troll. I got troll troll on me in
3: bad days. (laughs) Right. And do I then become a troll? Right. Because that's the other thing is how do I react to this person? Because even if I define myself, that definition is not static because I'm human. Right. And part of my humanity is an experience of change. So, I'm actually going to alter the, the, the question even further and say, in and positive theory, that what we're really talking about isn't effectiveness as much as we're linking authenticity to effectiveness. And that there's something powerful about this notion of authenticity in the boardroom, in that partnership. You know, a, a bunch of people who kind of know each other and know themselves. And aren't afraid to show their troll side, their wizard side, their elf side, their orc side, and can laugh about the fact that the, right now the troll side just showed up. And create space in that in that room and around that table for people to sort of engage with each other.
0: Yeah, I think that's I, I, I think that's a fun way to think about it. You you also have um I think this, this notion of many levels of, uh, ability to expose oneself Mm -hmm. to others in these environments. So it's not that everybody's, you know, let's use a one to 10 scale, everybody, and, and let's define authenticity on a one to 10 scale, which doesn't work really, but let's just pretend for a sec that it does work, that it's a single, a single line, you know, one person's a 10, and the other person's a seven, and another person's a five. They're just at different places, right? Or one person's a level 30 uh, of authenticity, and the other person's a level 27, and the other person's a level 15 in terms of their own ability. Um, recognizing that it's not just a single dimension.
4: Mm.
0: Did you eat breakfast? You know How, how are your biorhythms? Mm. Do you have a headache? Um, did you stay up too late last night doing email? Are you under pressure because of fill in the blank at work? Are you under pressure because of fill in the blank at home? You know, is your kid sick? Did you have a fight with your significant other? Um, are you cold because you like warm rooms and the air conditioner is on? Are you warm because you like cold rooms? Did you eat? Uh, did you have two milkshakes at lunch instead of one? Uh, and now you're in a semi diabetic coma. <laughs> you know what's going on is an important part of it, and I think that it's very easy to lose sight of that as especially in the boardroom, as you're the CEO trying to manage the interactions. It's also easy to lose sight of that when you hear something that someone says that you know is Maybe directionally correct, but is going to really impact negatively somebody else on your team who happens to be sitting in the room. Or when you have your own, you know, you had an extra milkshake or you're too tired or whatever, and you're having a reaction to something that you know is truth, but you're not ready to hear the truth. Um, Or you don't trust that it's being said and coming from a place of support and help, but it's coming from a place of criticism. And then you layer on top of this, you know, uh, everybody has different experiences. If you, you know, if you're a a CEO or a founder, you're in a boardroom, everybody knows Mr. Socrates, the board member, right? (laughs) Mr. Socrates can't help herself, Mrs. Socrates, right? I I have in my mind, I'm going to try it for a month. Maybe I'll do it in September on my blog to, instead of using he as the pronoun, always use her and she, so always use female gender for pronouns instead of male gender. And it's interesting how hard it is to do. I, I thought coming into this that I was going to try to do it, mm. and I already blew it. So I'm mm. going to give up because I blew it. But uh, if, you're, if you read my blog, uh, maybe, maybe September will be the, the female gender pronoun um, as, as I try to rewire my brain not to default so much into a male gender pronoun. But, but imagine a situation where, where Mr. Socrates is, is one of your board members. And every board meeting, Mr. Socrates asks Ten to twenty questions, and never tells you the fucking answer, and never makes an assertion about what he thinks would be a good idea, and that and the questions are good questions. They're you know twenty questions, ten of them are easily answerable, five of them are irrelevant, but five of them are really good questions. How as a CEO, how do you feel? By the fifth board meeting, you want to crack this guy's head open. You know, you're being attacked constantly because this person is asking you questions. Maybe not realizing that that's the way the person's trying to get you to an answer. Or maybe he is an asshole and he's just asking you questions and that's the way he operates. So getting the next layer down is where the magic starts to happen. If you form your impression based on just the interactions and you never say to Mr. Socrates one-on-one, Mr. Socrates, here's what's going on. In my mind, I'm struggling some in our board meeting because all you do is ask me questions. I feel it makes me feel insecure. Ten of your questions I can answer. Five of your questions I don't think are relevant, but five of your questions are awesome. Are, are you really? Do you think I'm stupid? Like, is that why you're asking me questions? Or are you trying to help guide me to an answer? Help me understand why you're just asking me these questions because I'd love to know the answers to the ones that are the really hard questions if you know them or is this just the style you don't have to be that direct like but figuring out in every situation of every relationship building that um when someone's on a board with with uh with Fred and I you know and we've been on a handful of boards together over the years we're different we approach things different we think about things different we have i would say as 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 investors who have grown up together i think we have a lot of shared common values uh, I think we have a lot of um, belief systems that are similar. If you actually look at what we've invested in over the years, you know the overlap of the things we've invested in is fairly small. Mm-hmm. Much of what we've invested in are different areas, although some of it overlaps. So we've learned a lot of different things. But we approach problems in different ways. Our styles are different. That's incredibly powerful for a CEO who understands it. And it's probably maddening for a CEO who wants it to be packaged and easy. And we're both very easy to learn because we're so, so accessible. I would suggest that Fred is just as easy to learn as I am easy to learn, whether it's you reading his blog or just interacting with him as a human. Now, take an investor who's not easy to learn, an investor who doesn't blog, who all of the tweets that they do are just retweets of press releases of things from their portfolio companies. Is someone who's had success, but is out of the limelight Uh, or is someone who hasn't had much success yet, but is clearly a very smart person, whatever it is, as a founder, you're going to have this collection of different types of people you have to learn. And you can be passive about it and let them impose themselves on you without learning them. Mm. Or you can try to figure out how to learn them in a way that gets them as a board working more effectively together. And that's, That next layer down. It's not just being authentic. It's not just setting a tone where everybody's open and honest because people are going to have a range of it. And that's not the only dimension that matters.
4: Mm.
0: But it's a good proxy for how to
3: move into it. So, So take this and go back in time. Hot tub time machine here. You and I first met in 96. Yep. And, uh when we both had much darker hair than we have today
0: <laughs> and mine's, mine's still got some
3: length to it yours, <laughs> yours has length I, 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 my, mine has sparseness um, you know and thinking this through I think you know if I were to give myself advice at that age the first thing I would say is to relax because that was always hard for me that it will it will unfold but to this point about authenticity and self-knowledge and self-awareness and radical self-inquiry, I would be encouraging myself to, to really accept things. And in fact, what just popped in my mind was actually a piece of advice you gave me back in those days. And, and you probably won't recall this, but I was struggling and had it was like the first year that I was working with Fred, so it was ninety six. So I I started as a VC in ninety five, and um, I was really in a tough place because I I was feeling uh, this deep and profound imposter syndrome. Yeah. I was feeling this sense that I was uh, you know I didn't go to an Ivy League school, you know I was really in a realm that I didn't understand. And you said something very powerful to me. You said, Jerry, stop trying to be a VC like everybody else. Just be a VC like you. <laughs> and you know, I mean, this, this isn't a correlated fact, but these are coincident facts. But the next year, I was named to Forbes ASAP list of 50 best VCs in the country. And that piece of advice from my friend Brad was really powerful for me and it in a sense it's it's a less uh, explicated uh, reference to what you've just been saying
0: yep i think I think that the uh, I don't remember saying that specific statement to you but it, I've said it I've said some version of that uh, many times over the years including you know to myself
4: mm. um,
0: but to lots of other people um, you know, founders, investors, and, and the essence of it is always the the thing that is so powerful is that as an entrepreneur, you get to define your own reality. It's not unconstrained, right? You have endless constraints. You have financial constraints, you have time constraints, you have resource constraints, you have people constraints, you have, you have intellectual physics. constraints. Yeah, physics. Right? <laughs> it's, it's not a you, you no, but you get to define your own reality, and I think that's true for all humans,
4: mm.
0: not just entrepreneurs. Mm. For many humans, you're in a different place. You you start from a different place. You know, the Warren Buffett you you, you won the genetic lottery line is a is an important one. Like, I was born uh, uh, a white American. Uh, a white Jewish American in Blyville, Arkansas in 1965 to two loving parents who are still together today as an mm-hmm. oldest son. yeah, I got I got a lot of genetic wins on that, mm-hmm. right? in terms of my starting point. So you know if you if you view it as a zero-sum race uh, mm. uh, against seven billion people on the planet,
4: mm. uh,
0: I got a really gigantic head start. But it's not a seven billion person race. It's just not. It's from where you are, as a starting point to where you go Mm. and you know i was 31 when i said that to you you were 33 or 34 Mm. because you're a couple years older than me um and you know in our 30s we've both been successful in different ways Mm -hmm. in our 30s as a successful person all of a sudden you know in in a in a mode that's a very powerful potential powerful mode the notion of imposter syndrome the notion of i have to be like that other person is very powerful now take it to the founders of the world i'm a founder i'm 25 years old i'm 31 years old i'm 42 years old <laughs> i'm right. 5 years old right and i have to to be successful i have to look like that bullshit mm.
4: it's
0: total bullshit mm-hmm. you're probably already successful if you're a founder mm. because you're pursuing something that you want to pursue mm. Start with that Mm. and now pursue it in a way you want to pursue it. Be yourself and recognize that you don't have to be number one. That's not the goal. Mm. The goal is to pick a whole bunch of other attributes that you want to have satisfaction on.
4: Mm.
0: And As you have more and more success, you actually can open the aperture of what those goals are. And I've had people say to me, but that makes it harder. I have more choices. <laughs> and my response is, isn't
3: that good? Mm. Don't you want more choices? Uh, I'd rather not have as many choices. Why? Well, it's frightening for people because they actually have to define what success is for themselves.
0: Of course. Right. And, you know, that's part of the journey uh, that that you go on. Um, my, my wife, uh, Amy, and I have a... Uh, foundation, one of the programs we do from our foundation is something at Wellesley College, where she went to school, which is called the Anchor Point uh, uh, Fellows in Global Leadership. So every year we have a program for undergraduates at Wellesley, young women who are in their, you know, 18 to 21, apply for and go on a three-month internship that we fund somewhere in the world that has something to do with global leadership, and they have to define what they're doing. So it's about leadership, including leadership starting from your own frame of reference. And every, we have a biannual conference. We just had our conference a couple of weeks ago. And, and Amy says to me as we're uh, driving home at the end of the first, first night uh, or the, the end of the first day, uh, which was so powerful and so awesome, There's about 20 women that have, have gone through this so far. We, we're now doing about seven a year. Uh, she said, I just want to tell them all it's going to be Okay. <laughs> Right. Because they're all in their, you know, l- late teens to mid 20s now. And and they're they're magnificent. Right. They're 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 incredibly, uh, uh, you know, interesting, smart, powerful, confident, forward thinking young women. And we just want to as as people in their late 40s just want to say it's going to be OK, which is kind of the same thing. Just
3: be you. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is, you know, in a sense, what I've heard you do in a beautiful way is kind of broaden and open up the definition of success. And I'm thinking back to the folks that I know, my children, clients, the folks that I know in their 20s, who are so locked in not only to what the models are supposed to be of who I'm supposed to be, but also what is success. And that if you can, if you can expand the notion of what is success... All of a sudden, you can take in that success might be defined as being satisfied. Success might be defined as generally being happy, even though some days I'm sad, right? Success may be defined as, we often say at Reboot, quoting David White, good work, done well, for the right reasons. Good work, done well, for the right reasons. You know, that success is not everybody coming out the same way. Does that make sense? I'll give
0: you a couple more examples, mm. right? Success is not only the broad arc. Mm. It can be the small things. So, success for me often on a Saturday morning is that I slept for over 12 hours the night before. Mm. I love to sleep. <laughs> I've always been a great sleeper. you know one of my superpowers is I sit down in an airplane, I put my seatbelt on, I close my eyes, and I am asleep until the wheels hit the ground.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: As long as the plane flight is less than five hours, no problem. and sometimes if it's more than five hours, I can do that without an ambient. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know it's a nice superpower to have because it's basically time travel. Mm-hmm. So just you think about success and it doesn't have to be... Externally driven,
4: mm.
0: uh, other people validated
4: mm-hmm.
0: measures mm. of things that line up against our societal check marks.
4: Mm.
0: It can be that it's you know eleven thirty on Saturday, mm. and I just rolled over and I thought to myself, "Oh, that felt so good." Mm. And I know that Amy's off doing her thing because she likes to get up earlier in the morning. And when I come out, she's going to say in her sing-song voice, Brad Feld, Mm. which is her morning greeting. And she's not going to be angry that I slept till 1130. Mm. She's going to know that that was a successful Friday night sleep for me after a long week of working hard.
4: Mm. Mm.
0: So one of the things that uh, is so vexing, it's vexing to me and it's vexing to most humans, is the idea of success – and defining it, like the notions that you talk about at Reboot, are continually changing.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Success for me at you know, 24 is different than success for me at 30, is different for success for me at almost 50. Mm-hmm. And a successful day is different
4: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> in addition to a successful week or a successful month or a successful year. The idea of what success is in the business business context with a company, success in a relationship, success on a uh, on a board, uh, success for an athletic endeavor it changes. Mm. Um, I was with a friend uh, uh, yesterday who just decided uh, she's a very she's a great uh, cyclist and she just did something called the peak to peak to peak and she just did it and did extremely well, and uh, she was going to do this incredibly hard bike race and she just decided not to do it. And she was trained for it, she was ready to go. And uh I said, "Why?" She said, "I just didn't feel like it." And, and I said, "Because you, you had nothing to prove." And she says, "Yeah, I had nothing to prove and I just didn't feel like it."
4: Hmm.
0: I said, "How do you feel?" I said, "I feel great that I decided not to do it." Hmm. That's success. Hmm. She has nothing to prove. She doesn't have to go do this incredibly hard bike race to check off another bike race on the list of incredibly hard bike races that she's already checked off a bunch on. Mm-hmm. And if she'd felt like doing it, awesome. Mm-hmm. Right, so it's, it's getting into that soft headspace about what success actually means and letting it be context specific. And if you're a founder and you can do that with the ups and downs and the roller coasters and the highs and the lows and the stresses and the challenges and the disappointments and the frustrations... you're going to have so much of an easier time than if you hold on to this absolute notion of what
3: success is. So, so we had this beautiful conversation, I think, around this notion of authenticity where we, we, we morphed the notion of effectiveness into a notion of authentic relationship, even in the boardroom. And I could hear in the back of my mind, the anxious clients that I have and even the people listening to this podcast who, saying things like, yeah, that's all well and good, but I got to fill in the blank.
2: Yeah.
3: Right. And what we've done, I think, by expanding and altering the notion of success is answered that other anxious question, which was if success is only narrowly defined as a becoming a unicorn, to use the common phrase right now. Then this notion of authenticity in the boardroom becomes really challenging. But if success is defined by a broader set of metrics, no matter how hard that definition process can be, then all of a sudden we have the space for, oh, success is defined by having a fucking good time trying to do something impossible like launch a business. Yep. And
0: you can take. And on that spectrum, even narrower, mm. you have a major source of anxiety and a thing that's in front of you that you know you have to confront. Mm. It's the, you know, the big, ugly demon in the cave.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's, and you know, you know, it's time to go stick your head in that demon's mouth. Mm. But you, you, you've been resisting, avoiding. Mm. And you wake up in the morning and you say, success today is going to be sticking my head in that demon's mouth. Mm. That's success. Mm. And that's the only thing I got to do today to have a successful day. All the other stuff today. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to do some other stuff today. But success is if I go do that thing. And you mm. can re- repurpose the notion of success. Mm. And, you know, that example is not, a, it's not fun, it's not satisfying, it's not going to be enjoyable, it's not going to mm-hmm. give you a thrill, it's not going to make you any money, it's not going to get you, uh, mm-hmm. might get you on the cover of a blog, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but you're going to go stick your head in that fucking demon's mouth and you're going to go deal with that thing. And and after you do that, mm. you're going to have success. And when you can scale the notion of success up and down, mm. And you can start to focus on you and what you need to nourish you in the moment,
4: Mm.
0: which, by the way, you might not have any demons in the cave right now. Mm. And that gives you range of motion to go to find success as something something different, which might be today I'm going to walk out of the cave and just go wander around in the sunlight, Mm. whatever the metaphor of that is, right? Mm. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't define long arcs of success and you shouldn't have a goal of what success means for your company. But the ultimate definition of success versus those intermediate definitions mm. get people hung up. I'm successful if I create a unicorn. What What a stupid fucking phrase. Mm. What a stupid idea. That's mm. success. Why? Mm. What does that mean? I mean, do you get on a list mm. and it's a list that 5 years from now is going to be a different list. Mm-hmm. And then there's going to be lots of people who are analyzing who was on the list
3: and now who's not on the list. Mm. Why 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 bother with that? What's the point of that? Mm.
4: Mm.
3: That's beautiful. You know, one of it, it and 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 we'll start to wrap with this, but the the I've always loved your what fucked up thing is going to happen today. <laughs> mantra, which, yeah. you know, I'm sure, you know, we'll find the blog post in which you first started talking about that and link to it. But then there's a, there's a corollary now, which I'm hearing, which is what successful thing am I going to do today?
0: Yeah. yeah. I, I think, I think the balance between those is, is part of what can help someone be sane, uh, in, in the context of the general, uh, it 's like general and special relativity, right the general and special insanity <laughs> of, being, of being a founder is to know that every day something new is going to be fucked up in your world
4: yeah
0: and that 's okay yeah, and that something new is going to be surprisingly awesome in your world mm. and that 's okay
4: mm.
0: and your day isn 't dependent on finding the fucked up thing and solving it. Mm and your day isn't dependent on experiencing the awesome thing mm. because being a founder and creating a company and living a life is a continuous experience of lots of different things that happen in unpredictable random and chaotic ways mm. and if you try to control that it will be very 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 hard mm. and very unsatisfying it mm. doesn't mean that you can't control things mm. But if you let that broad arc unfold and you participate in the unfolding of the good and the bad, that's life. Mm.
3: That's that's beautiful. And, I, you know, uh, I, I will slip in one more thing here, which is that you may not know it, my friend, but you are a Buddhist. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I, I, I stand on your shoulders and I follow in your footsteps. Uh,
3: well. Thank you so much for this. This is an amazing conversation. And, you know, it just makes me miss you all the more.
0: So. Well, I will see you. I will see you soon. And uh, I will, we will spend plenty of time paddling around in the
3: pool. You got it. You got it.
1: So that's it for our conversation today. I know a lot was covered in this episode from links to books to quotes to images So we went ahead and compiled all that and put it on our site at Reboot.io slash podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can find out about that on our site as well. I'm really grateful that you took the time to listen. If you enjoyed the show and you want to get all the latest episodes as we release them, head over to iTunes and subscribe. And while you're there, it would be great if you could leave us a review, letting us know how the show affected you. So thank you again for listening, and I really look forward to future conversations together.
4: How long